Artistic Whispers Productions presents... Down from 10, a country house mystery written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net. Featuring the vocal talents of... Philippa Ballantyne. T. Morris. Kitty Nakian. Nathan Lowell. Miss Calendar. Nobilis Reed. Christiana Ellis. Chris Lester. With original music by Danny Shade. This podcast contains adult language, sexual situations, and bizarre humor. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, this is your author and host, J. Daniel Sawyer. We've been through a hell of a twisty journey to get here, but now you're listening to episode 25 of Down From 10, and this is the story so far. Imprisoned on a spaceship taking a 40-light-year journey, alien beings... Carol's story has more holes in it than a Star Wars prequel script, but it's clear that whoever has them imprisoned is in cahoots with her. This leaves everyone with an uncomfortable choice about their dear friend. Carol is either lying, or she's gone mad. Chapter 25 Epiphany Katie, Kevin, and Sarah had been burrowing for an hour now. For most of that time, Amos had sat in the wingback staring at Carol sitting on the stairs, trying to puzzle her out. It was a grand story. He almost wished it were true. The pieces fit beautifully. A perfect jigsaw. Nearly every piece in its place. Except, of course, it couldn't be true. It was one thing to play the game out, asking the questions and feeling out the scenario. But after a little time to rest and think, Amos found himself sinking further and further into the doldrums. What Carol had just told them was nothing more than a clever pastiche of her new book, a locked room mystery aboard a disabled spacecraft, with everyone being secretly manipulated by aliens trying to prep for first contact. She'd laid the whole plot out to him earlier in the week. There were really only two options. Either she took the opportunity presented by the Avalanche to run the scenario as an elaborate role-playing game without telling any of them, or something had broken her mind. Amos looked over to Gerd, seeing the same worry mirrored in the bigger man's eyes, and admitted to himself that, deep down... He'd rather lose her to psychosis than face the fact that she was capable of playing a joke out this far. Past the point of Jeremiah's death, past the point of Sarah's attack, past the point of hurting and betraying everyone who was most important to her. If her sales figures meant that much to her, then he never had known her. He'd rather she was dead. That, at least, he could understand. Tea was more civilized than coffee, and Garrett appreciated the gesture when Adele had replaced the one for the other and carefully prepared Carol's the way she liked it. 
English breakfast, brewed dark, with a teaspoon of heavy cream stirred in when the brew was just shy of boiling. When the missionary handed it to Gerd's ruined student, Carol looked up at her with the kind of gratitude that Gerd had only ever seen in the ill who'd been given their pain meds. He'd seen that look before, in his wife's face when she lay in the hospital, dying of her burns and bruises when her anesthesiologist had upped the morphine that finally let her slip away in peace. I was going to tell you, you know. Tomorrow morning, we would have woken up, and the snow would have been gone, and it would have been a whole new world. Amos's eyes were swollen and red. That man was seeing the same thing happen to the woman he loved most. Carol, or the Carol they had all thought they knew, was dying before their eyes. Amos was seeing his future die with her. It was only a matter of time before he spoke again. And speak he did, gently, patronizing her delusion, as if he were hoping to find some shred of her left underneath it. So, how did you get in and out? I didn't. I've been trapped in here. Just like the rest of you. And the aliens? Amos asked, unable to keep the tragedy out of his voice. How do you know who they are? I just know. Carol took a sip of her tea as if it proved she were still fabulously sane. Have you met them? Not face to face, no. We've communicated. Kind of like chatting online. But no... I haven't seen them. Won't see them until you do. Gerd and Amos shared another look. Then Gerd looked at the woman on the stairs. Do not worry, dear lady. He said, trying to reassure someone he didn't think could hope to understand. We will get you the best of care. A few yards deep in the snowbank... Kevin swung the pickaxe at the snow and knocked another chunk loose for Katie to scrape back with her snow shovel to Sarah, who scooped it up and dumped it in the garbage can. Another couple feet and they'd have to haul it out to the solarium and dump it into the floor drain again. He didn't care. The tunneling was cathartic, and it made him feel like less of a dupe. Just when you think you know a person. She's got some nerve. Why would she do this? Sarah asked. She had a way of using her voice that could break his heart open every time. She didn't want to believe Carol was really this much of a bitch. Come to think of it, Kevin didn't either. He stopped swinging and looked back at his two companions. Maybe she's lost it, gone schizo or something. Do you know how to tell? Kevin shrugged and turned back to the end of the tunnel, swinging again. You'll have to ask Amos. He's the one with all the... Kevin's pick struck metal. He dropped the tool and started clearing the debris away with his hands. Sarah and Katie joined him, tapping at the loosened snow with the butt ends of their handles. Square inch by square inch, the snow flaked off to reveal a forest green metal panel with a nasty scratch in the paint. Kevin winced. Gerd was going to kill him for this. Gerd's car? Shit! He's gonna have my hide for that one. Guess we've got our answer, though. Katie patted him sympathetically on the back and returned to clearing the snow. After another few minutes, the snow had given way to a metal shape, 
One that was decidedly not a car. I don't think Garrett's gonna mind. Katie raised her voice and yelled back down the tunnel. Amos! Garrett! Come quick! Garrett jumped when Katie's shout reached his ears. Carol stood up and approached Amos. She touched him on his cheek as if hoping to make a dent in his wrecked, stoic expression. The man was already resigning himself to returning to life alone, his swollen eyes the only thing betraying his grief. I mean it, you know. I too love you, and I want to be with you. But Amos would not look at her. Gerd stood and walked to the doorway. Looking out into the darkness, he saw a green metal blister at the end with a wheel in the middle of it, like a massive submarine hatch. It hadn't been there when he entered the house ten days ago. He took a breath and stepped forward towards the tunnel, hearing Carol's voice echo calmly behind him, presumably still talking to Amos. You better come see this. Inside, the tunnel felt like an industrial freezer. At the end, just before him, Kevin strained at the wheel on the large door, or at least he assumed it was a door. Kevin's gangly frame might look and feel glorious naked, but it was no match for the amount of torque a door like that would need. Gerd seized the other side of the wheel with his good arm and pulled, adding his weight and strength to Kevin's, and between the two of them, after a couple of good heaves, they managed to move the mechanism, first by inches, and then so that it was spinning freely. When the wheel slammed hard against the far side of its range of motion, Gerd elbowed Kevin aside and pulled. The heavy door swung inward. Looking through it, there was little he could do but blink while he tried to take in the sight before his eyes. Past the door lay a room, a kind of viewing gallery, like he might expect in an aquarium or a museum. The ground of Carol's front walk ended at the bulkhead. Beyond it, a polished, brass-like floor stretched a few meters toward a banister. Beyond the banister, the floor sloped away to a lower level, perhaps a meter below the first. But it wasn't the floor, or the banister, or the lower level that Gerd found difficult to reconcile with his continued desire to breathe. It was what stood at the end of that floor. A window stretching floor to ceiling and set in a heavy reinforced frame filled the far wall. Whatever shades might normally cover it were nowhere in sight, and Gerd could do nothing but stare transfixed at the view it provided. The galaxy stretched from one end of the window to another. It was the Milky Way end on, like a vast sea of glitter and clouds bigger and brighter than anything he'd ever seen before, except perhaps on a movie screen. Between Gerd and the galaxy, a pair of suns shone brightly enough to light up the strange gallery like noonday in the desert. The Frenchman stepped haltingly forward, feeling his way like a blind man, his eyes unable to leave the vista before them. It couldn't be true. There was no possible way that what he was looking at was real. There had been so many nightmares and visions and oddities in the last ten days that they had leached the best of his mind away with them. His ability to judge reality must be completely gone by now. 
It was the only thing that made sense when the lower half of the picture window was filled edge to edge with a deep blue sphere, dotted here and there with island masses that spread across it like a massive fjord. There was no mistaking it. The planet in front of him was not Earth. Gerd found his way to the banister and leaned forward on it, the cool metal giving him a minuscule measure of surety as he stared into the face of an alien universe. Mon Dieu, it is true. One after another, they gasped as they stepped through the door. No screams, no alarms, just gasps. Amos held Carol lightly by the elbow, letting her step through before he did. She did not gasp. Whatever lay behind door number one was no surprise to her, but it was to him. As Carol moved forward down the stairs to stand in front of them, Amos saw what everyone else was staring at. He was on his knees weeping before he realized what it was he was seeing. They wanted a tribe. Carol's voice, the whisper from a fallen angel who'd finally found a way home. They needed a family of adults. People that wouldn't fall apart being stuck together. People who wouldn't freak out when they saw... Well, when they saw this. It was true. All of it. She'd kidnapped them, stolen them away from Earth. She'd trapped them in here. Her words from the first night came flooding back to him. That night when she'd found him under the stars... They're beautiful tonight. It's good to have something to reach for. And the second night. But wouldn't you like to see it? Don't you ever wonder what it would be like out there? Now he knew. She'd been behind it all. Amos raised his eyes again. Everyone stood behind the rail looking down at Carol. She stood in front of them, villain and savior, priestess for them, whoever they were. The stars behind her, no. They were suns, weren't they? New suns. Nothing he had ever written or imagined or beheld prepared him for what he was seeing. Looking at Carol's face, he saw himself there. Terror and exaltation. He wanted to kill her. He wanted to grab her and kiss her and make now last forever. He wanted to believe it was all true. He wanted to know why. Sarah was the first to break the silence. What do they want with us? They said they wanted a picture of our potential. Carol didn't move, but Amos could hear the bemusement in her voice as clearly as if she were shrugging off the question. She had no way to know she could trust them. What he heard was the last flapping tendril of hope that made up the far end of her faith. Sarah walked down the little ramp and stood next to Carol, but didn't face her. The young woman's eyes were fixed on the window and the alien solar system beyond. Gerd seemed less impressed and snorted. Well, hardly the best Earth has to offer, mon cher. You all live by what you believe. You devote yourself to it wholeheartedly. Even giving up chances for family, for advancement. I couldn't think of anyone better. Was that pride in her voice or desperation? Amos rose to his feet and found a place to lean on the banister. He couldn't keep up with the thoughts washing through his mind. Jeremiah. Sarah's shoulders were shaking. Jeremiah should have lived to see this. Carol slipped her arm around Sarah, grabbing her shoulders, and pulled the small woman to her. Yes, he should have. 
Amos took a breath and realized that he was still silently sobbing. It was all he could do not to shout for joy. The more he looked, the less he understood. Carol's motives. How she played him. Why he wasn't angry. Why he was. None of it made sense. Who was she? So we're ambassadors? I suppose you could call it that. We're hardly a representative sample. For the first time since he'd woken her up, Carol's face broke into a broad smile. More than that, a beam. No ambiguity, no deception, genuine joy. What makes you think we're the only ones? <laughs> Look. She pointed down and to the left. Below them, in a cloud moving toward the planet, were ships. Thousands of them, more than he could count, stretching away from them past the point where Amos could tell them apart from the stars. The ones closest looked like small tugs pulling large cargoes. They must be on one of them. All of them, stuck in a cargo ship. One among thousands. How many other people were there? Were all of them from Earth? How many other worlds were there? Katie walked forward to join Carol and Sarah on the lower deck. Her voice was resigned, calm, the sound of someone who only wanted to know how long she had left. Can we ever go home? If you want to. By the time you get there, it'll be 80 years later. You had no right to kidnap us. Kevin's tone didn't carry the weight of his words. He seemed not to understand what he was saying, or maybe he wished he didn't have to say it. Amos couldn't tell. None of us have anything tying us there, except what we have in this house. I couldn't go without my family, and I couldn't live with myself, knowing I'd be seeing all of this without you. But Kevin was right. She had no right to do it. You could have stayed. You didn't have to go. What were you thinking? You know better than that. You said you'd do anything to get back out here. She was right. Of course she was. He'd have done the same thing, or at least he'd have come himself. But something didn't fit. Something big. Something obvious. Kevin moved next to Adele and took her hand. She squeezed it and nodded solidarity to him. That's all well and good. Adele was cagey, not quite angry. More like she was trying to step carefully. But what do they want? They said... Carol closed her eyes as if blinking back tears. When she started again, her voice was thick. They said they want to be ready for us. They expect us to make it here on our own soon. They want to know what we'll bring. So we speak for Earth. Amos kept his grip firm on the railing, not sure if he could stand on his own under the weight of the words. Every microbe, every person, every animal, every plant. I don't know if I want the job. Carol stepped back from Sarah toward the window. The red of her dress seemed to shine as she stepped out of the shadows and into the glow of the alien sun. The lights above the window shone down on top of her, lighting her brown hair golden as she moved right up to the glass and raised her arms out wide. Look down there. All those ships. A 
fleet of them. Thousands of others from Earth. More than that, from other places in the galaxy. It's a meeting place. She was his best friend. She was his favorite guest. A great conversationalist. She was his lover. She was the one person he knew mattered in the universe. The one person he counted himself lucky to know. The one person he could always sit down and talk to. The one person who would always remind him of who he was. And it seemed to him that now, with her face painted in ecstasy and wonder and terror, he was seeing her truly for the first time. Now, he finally knew who she was. She turned around and looked out the window once again. The scoop back of her nightdress dropped low over her hips, showing her serpent tattoo in all its reticulated glory. It seemed to glow softly, like a beacon, as if it had a life of its own, calling to them all. Here before you are all the worlds in this new kingdom. Every one of them is yours to explore. All you need to do is come with me. Now, Amos finally understood everything. This book is dedicated to Fu and Philippa, fabulous females, fantastic friends, and fiendish folk and to the Tribe of Doom and all the astounding people who enrich one another's lives as they embrace the octopus. The universe rings fuller that has such souls in it. You've been listening to J. Daniel Sawyer's Down From Ten, original score by Danny Shade, with supplemental material by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, Johann Strauss, Billy Holiday, Benny Goodman's Orchestra, Carlos Gardel, Alan J. Lerner, and Andre Previn. Also featuring P.C. Herring on the viola. All music is used by permission, is in the public domain, or appears with the cooperation of ASCAP BMI. Featuring T. Morris, Philippa Ballantyne, Nathan Lowell, Nobilis Reed, Miss Callender, Kitty Nakian, Christiana Ellis, Chris Lester, Gail Carragher, and Spinderfly. Sound by Freesound and Artistic Whispers. Find special features, additional stories, author contact information, and other goodies at www.jdsawyer.net. If you enjoyed this book, or even if you didn't, please leave a review on iTunes, your blog, or any other social media or listing site that strikes your fancy. Down from 10 is copyright 2009 J. Daniel Sawyer, based on the screenplay copyright 2008 J. Daniel Sawyer, and this production is copyright 2009 to 2010 Artistic Whispers Productions, released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.5 license. All other rights are reserved to the author. Music